Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What the fuck stirs? Today we talk to, I talk to, who's we? Me, Gabe Kaplan. Gabe Kaplan, welcome back, Cotter. Gabe Kaplan, out of nowhere, is pitched to me. You know, would you like to talk to Gabe Kaplan? Sure, I would like to talk to Gabe Kaplan. Of course. I remember Gabe Kaplan. Gabe Kaplan holds a big part of my brain somehow. Just that hair and that mustache and that delivery i remember him from when i was a kid i was young enough to to watch welcome back cotter when i was a kid i remember him as a stand-up but i don't know anything about him or what he's been doing i know that he played professional poker for a while but uh i was excited to talk to him about where he's been what he's been doing how he started he was a big comic he's the real deal man but what was funny is that you know he hasn't been in the game for a long time and we talked for a while and he asked me I told him I was still at the comedy store. We talked about the comedy store a bit. And uh, he started when he was like 18. But he asked me if uh, if his picture was still up there. I said, probably. And that night I went and I found his picture. I took a picture of it and I texted it to him. And that was a nice moment. A nice text moment with Gabe Kaplan. Uh, but I was uh, excited to talk to him. I think his, his daughter is a big fan of the show. I'm not exactly sure you know, what brought him around, but it might have been that. But he was like a huge stand-up in the 70s, and then he just kind of changed. Don't you remember when you are like you heard like Gabe Kaplan's a professional poker player? It was like, really? Wasn't he a comic? What, what happened? Well, I, well, we'll talk to him. We'll, you'll learn. You'll learn what happened. It was, a, it was a thrill to talk to him, to be honest with you. I've got club dates booked, and if everything works out well, um, I'm going to do them and I'll have the time and, the, and you know, I'll be ready to do them when they come. But I, I have dates that are available. Denver at the Comedy Works, August 5th through 7th. Phoenix at Stand Up Live on August 12th. Salt Lake City at Wise Guys, August 19th through 21st. St. Louis at Helium, September 16th through 18th. Uh, you can go to the websites of these venues to get tickets or click on the tour button at WTFPod.com. Also, I want to let you know that I signed some more copies of Waiting for the Punch, the WTF book. These never seem to stay in stock, so I want to give listeners a heads up before they're all gone. Uh, but you can get them at podswag.com slash WTF or click on the merch button at WTFPod.com for the signed book. What I'm noticing about performing is, and just noticing about be out, being out in the world in general, like the other night, night before last, me and Jerry Stahl and his uh, his girlfriend Zoe went to uh, 
I took them out to the comedy store and they, you know, hung out and did a main room set. And then we went to Cantor's, which is distance and, you know, had a Cantor's thing. But it's all weird. It's all, there's, there is a weird energy in the air. There's still a kind of a mildly apocalyptic tone to where this city is at economically and where we're all at culturally and where we are all at environmentally. It's still sort of, uh, uh, you know, sizzling in the air, that, that, that kind of like vibrating frequency of being on the, edge of something awful is still around but what i've noticed mostly in you know after going to the store the comedy store a few days and and people all of a sudden started to you know you you haven't seen i haven't seen these people in a year and you don't even know because you're just at the store and you it all feels familiar you're kind of like hey what's up it's almost like no time went by in a way except that we're all sort of half scared and wondering about masks and a little weird on stage because we don't know our footing. The audiences are still small and tentative and everybody's weird. It kind of reminded me of doing stand-up in New York just after 9-11 that there is definitely, that was much more intense because you could smell the burning and many people were killed. But let's not underestimate even on a broad level that, you know, over half a million people died of this disease in this country. We've all been through a year of lockdown. And, you know, and during that year, most of us were terrified on a day-to-day basis. We, you know, most of us lost people one way or the other during this pandemic. We had a president that wouldn't leave and was causing complete divisive political strife and fucking with our heads on a day-to-day basis. If you were out here in LA, the sky was orange and the air was unbreathable from fire. And we left our groceries on the goddamn stoop, you know, because we were terrified of a bag of groceries. This was day-to-day life. Now, we I don't think that we can just jump out of that. For me, in terms of dealing with what to deal with Comedically, it's acknowledging, acknowledging that PTSD is real and that we all fucking have it. I know we all want to get out there and do what's next and get back to normal, but to disregard what we all went through over the last year, even if you're a belligerent fucking idiot who insisted on, you know, that they didn't feel that, I don't know, you're a minority. But the truth of the matter is, most of us were terrified and brain fucked every day, one way or the other, for a year. And to think that that much fear and that much panic does not, you know, impact your brain. What does trauma do? Like if we don't really deal with what we've all been through and somehow move through it or process it or feel it or laugh about it or cry about it or whatever, it's going to break our brains in that we won't remember anything, which is really fertile ground for fascism and for mind fucking is that trauma you know, makes you repress memories. And we've already got a lot of momentum in certain states and with certain parties to forget an insurrection, to to try to forget what happened in reality on purpose through propaganda. So I'm just saying that uh, for me in dealing with what I feel and how I'm going to handle stand up, it's moving through this. Moving through and acknowledging the fucking trauma so we don't forget everything. You know why during the pandemic and even now this morning feels like a month ago? It's because we're brain fucked. You know, we've let the, the our phones shatter our minds with information. And also we just we all we thought we were going to die if we touched a, an apple at the supermarket. If we forgot to sanitize our hands after we touched a handle or a button 
You know, we thought that was every day. You don't think that brain fucks you. You don't think trauma is going to fuck you. If you don't remember this stuff, you're not going to be able to use your memory properly. And you're going to you know, be somebody in trauma. So it's just important for me to acknowledge that and to sort of think about it on stage and to see how we can all move through that. Because I feel it. it. It feels like a big sort of electric world of PTSD out there right now. Consider it. Or else you, nothing will have, will take precedence uh, in your mind appropriately. Your memory will be shattered. We're all almost halfway there. Scary. But we got to consider it. Gabe Kaplan. Uh, what sort of got him on my radar was this essay he wrote for the new issue of Emmy Magazine about his time on Battle of the Network Stars and a situation that happened on there with Robert Conrad. We'll talk about that a little bit. And the magazine is available now. But it was, it was really kind of a, a, an interesting eulogy not just for, for Robert Conrad, but for that era. I mean, obviously, it's been dead a while, but it was, there was something, for me, profoundly nostalgic about it because I remember it. It was my childhood, and it was uh, very nice to, uh, to talk to Gabe Kaplan. So I'll share that with you now. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or, in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. You look great, buddy. Well, thank you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I'm 77. Really? Yeah. <laughs> when, when did that start? When did you start feeling like that? At March, 77? March or? 31st, yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you look better than most 77-year-olds. Thank you. But you exercise? Do you take care yes, of Yes, I exercise. What do you do? I do the treadmill almost every day. At home? At home. Yeah. And I have like a little, you know, combination gym deal. Is your health like good? Yeah. Yeah? Not bad. Yeah? Yeah, I have a couple of little pills, you little know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little, you got to uh, take pills. I take one pill already. I'm 57. I'm taking a pill. That's when I started. Yeah? That's when my, you started That was my pill? first pill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what'd you start with? What was your first pill? Lipitor. Yeah, that's mine. That was my yeah, first pill. Hey, that's there a you go. Yeah, that's, that's where you learn. Like, you yeah. know, oh, my my genes aren't that good. No. I'm eating well, and I still have cholesterol issue. Me too. I eat uh, I eat pretty good. Fish. Yeah. You know, very, very rarely meat. Yeah. And, uh, and still, right? Still. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, listen, we got all the numbers on scary a little bit. You know, nothing to really be worried about, but... Uh, <laughs> but we got to keep an eye on we're it. We're going to put you on a small dose of Lipitor. Yeah, and it, they and the dose stayed the same? No. Went up. Went up. Why? Because the numbers kept going? Numbers. Really? So, 
I'm up to 40, 40 mils a day. A day. Any side effects? No. Hmm. No. I don't get. Do you get obsessed with side effects? I really haven't had any. But like when you look at the label, do you like, oh fuck? No, I mean you read the internet, you you you're done. No, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, people tell you don't take them; they're no, evil. No, they're... Yeah, you just gotta you know eat, you drink some apple cider vinegar and uh, and uh, and also how about those people that say that uh, meat doesn't cause it? <laughs> you know, you can't like all these people that have these ideas about health uh, don't really take into mind that everybody's different. Yeah, everybody's body chemistry is different. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but. My numbers are good with all the pills. I take five pills. Yeah. When did you like... I I remember... I read that thing you wrote about Robert Conrad. Oh, yeah. Because it seemed like that was what was out in the world. You seem to be like pushing that out in the world. Out, out of nowhere, you dispatch a a, 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 a a bit of business to get some clothes. It felt like a eulogy to me a little bit. It was. It was It was a, a personal relationship that that never really happened. And I wondered what happened. With Robert Conrad. With Robert Conrad. Like, why did this happen? Why were we not talking to each other for 40 years? But but you weren't really friends before. You just did the Battle of the Network Stars together, and you felt that somehow or another in your brain that it was a resentment, a deep-seated resentment yes. over over the you beating him in a race. I think, yeah. I think he thought I kind of sucker-punched him. <laughs> and, and, and he carried that with him for 40 years. I think years. so, because I met members of his family uh-huh. and there was always a little hesitancy a little coldness like uh you know why'd you do that to dad you know and, really yeah and i think it was because that was his thing to be a macho guy yeah. to be you know right to, and he sort of fell right into that yeah i felt like uh i wanted to patch that up i didn't want that hanging and but in the in the piece, it didn't seem like it, it was really outstanding there didn't, like when you tried to connect with him around that it was like not really the issue well, it wasn't the issue anymore, right? Because of his age, oh. he hardly remembered anything, and he, he did, it was like an interview. Yeah, you know he, I, you know it was it was competition with my peers, and I enjoyed that. So yeah. he wasn't really getting to the issue of and my thing was why did he blame me? I didn't do anything. You know, I was just there. But it's weird. Where out of nowhere you decide to sort of uh, rehash this battle of the network stars? It was the first battle of the network stars. Right. You were team captain for what? ABC. Yes. Yes. He was team captain for uh, NBC. NBC, Telly Savala, CBS. The funny thing about reading that, being 57, right. is that all of those people that were involved in that, I remember when I was a little kid. Like, what year was that? 1976. Right. So I'm 13 years old. So all, like, watching, you know, Welcome Back, Cotter, seeing, you know, Robert Conrad on things, Telly Savalas, Kojak, my mother watched that. I had, it was almost a eulogy for another time in television. Yes. Yes, I mean that's what it felt like. Also, it felt like, hey, I want to revisit that era. Yeah, you know, nobody really knows much about it or the reality of what it was like to be a big television star when there was three networks. Yeah, when that was it. Yeah, you know, and was... and you talk about your relationship with Penny Marshall. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I thought when it was three networks, everybody knew each other. <laughs> you kind of knew. Well, you knew a lot of people on your network. Uh huh. So I knew most of those people that were on my team. Yeah. But uh, who were they? Let's, re- let's reel them off. Uh, let's reel them off. Uh, you want the statistics or just no? Uh, I just <laughs> want the people. I want to know what my relationship was with them. Okay, uh, Linda Carter. Sure, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Okay, Ron Howard. Sure, Ron Howard before he was Ron Howard. When he, and was, he was Ron Howard, he was on Happy Days, but he, he was Happy Days. Ron Howard, the biggest director in the world. No, right, right. So this was this was when he this was Richie Cunningham. Post Ron o- Howard. Richie Cunningham post Opie days. Yeah, got it. 
And then there was um, Hal Linden. Sure, Barney Miller. Barney Miller. Just talking about Barney Miller the other day. What a great fucking show that was. Right. Huh? I love Barney Miller. Yeah. And um, Did you know those other guys on Barney Miller? Did you know Landisberg? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Funny guy, right? Started the improv together. In New York? In New York, yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm, that's the because like I always thought he was hilarious, and then I was it, okay. Go ahead. Who else? He would he would kill at yeah. the improv. He had these routines that uh, he would just kill with. Yeah. I, what what was his style? Because there's not a lot of him doing stand up around. You know what I mean? Uh, in terms of footage. And I don't know if those. Are, I think he did those routines on the Carson show, but uh-huh. there was one I remember about. His name was Ludwig Baybun Stuckmacher, <laughs> an expert on uh, music. <laughs> Baseball and psychiatry. That <laughs> was uh, so. It was a character. He was character. Yeah, he huh. was, was like acting, acting. Based. Yeah, yeah. And really kill. So these were the people, and they, and Telly Savalas was the other captain. Telly Savalas, I knew him because uh, he had done a nightclub act in uh, Vegas. Yeah, and I was his opening comic. What year was that? I say nineteen seventy four. Wow. So he like, was that popular, you know, he had to So you really started, you know, before there were legit comedy clubs at all. I mean, you know, where, yes. where'd you where'd you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn. And and was the uh you got brothers and sisters? Older sister, about nine years older. Still around? Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. What and uh, very Jewish, little Jewish, middle Jewish? My light? father was really um religious. Yeah. He would go every Saturday. Every Saturday morning was a fight. Uh huh. To get me to go to, to Temple with uh-huh. him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everybody has their son going. Why doesn't my son come? Come, let's go. Let's go. Be yeah. a Jew. Come to Shul. Be a Jew. <laughs> and it's what he said. It was a fight. Sometimes yeah. he'd win, sometimes I'd win. And what was your aversion? I just didn't like it. You know, yeah. I, I didn't believe it. I, yeah. I, I just, you know, old men bowing and, and, yeah. and, and uh, it's, you know, I, I just didn't go. I didn't. Once I started, you know, when I was like ten, eleven, everything yeah. was fine. Right. And I started to think, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe this. But you got the bar mitzvah, or no? Yeah. Well, that was it. That was my. Then he didn't bother me anymore. That was it. Yeah. You did your bit. I did my thing. I put in thirteen years, <laughs> and then he left me alone. <laughs> but he had his own form of. You know, so like we had separate dishes. Oh, the kosher thing. The kosher thing. You did. And uh, and then I had friends who had separate dishes. But they would eat out, uh-huh. and they would Regular. eat Chinese food, right? And that was okay, right? So there's like different versions of sure. what's okay to eat. Yeah, I think the last thing, if you're a Jew, the last thing is if you eat a pork chop. That's, right, that's that, it. That's then you're out. That's yeah. not. But you can eat pork and Chinese food. You can, you, eat pork, just, you can eat pork fried rice. Right, but you can't eat a, a, a pork chop. A whole pork chop because you can't rationalize that. Can't. Like I didn't know it was in there. <laughs> right, right. God says, Morris Feldman, he ate a pork. That's it. Yeah, I He's saw you eat the pork chop. Yeah, I, I, you're out. I, yeah, I didn't see it in the rice. Saw it on the plate with the pork chop. <laughs> so, what was the original uh, idea for you? It wasn't always to do comedy, right? What were you gonna do? What was the plan? I wanted to be a baseball player. Oh, really? Could you play? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I was like in in high school. I was small, and uh, I was okay, but it wasn't really that good. But when I became like sixteen, seventeen, I started to grow, and I became a really good baseball player. And I tried out for a couple of minor league teams. Yeah, and I didn't make it. I almost made it one year. Yeah, in Amarillo, Texas. You went to Texas? I went to Texas. It was a Yankee form. I think it was the Gold Sox. Uh-huh. 
It was a Yankee Farm team at that time. Yeah. And I made, I think, the last cut and then hung around in Texas because they said, hang around for a little while. Maybe someone will drop out. Maybe we right. can use you. And I went to a few strip clubs with these guys that were also hanging around. But they were from New York? No. From no. all over? From Texas? From what? Texas. Oh, yeah? And I saw comedians. You know, strip clubs were different than sure. where it was like a show. Right. They had, like It was a burlesque show in a way, right? They, they had the, the comedian MC and a little band, a little combo. Right. Yeah. A band. And each girl had like a theme. Oh, really? You know, like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mermaid. Mermaid, something right, like that. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Uh, uh, and, waitress. And, right. And they, were, and they wouldn't uh, take all their clothes off. They had that pasties on, right? Pasties and uh-huh. G-string. Yeah. And but the it was a comedian, and the comedian would do like these jokes. Yeah. And we went back to the same clubs a few times, and the comedians were always doing the same jokes. And I started thinking, I think this is like in 1962, and I started thinking, well, well, you know, maybe I can do that. Did you remember the comic Robert J? Was, oh, really? Was a was the comic in Houston in 1962? Really? Yeah. Was he a guy? Well, I mean, was he a national act? No. No. <laughs> but you know, were... these were guys that just they, there was a whole breed of comedians that just did this they might might have been ex burlesque uh-huh. comics yeah and they got into stand-up and they got you know robert J. yeah <laughs> what was the shtick just old jokes old jokes yeah just old dirty jokes right one right after the other yeah and uh you had to fill in time uh-huh and i actually worked in strip clubs Really? Later, not 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 right away. But. So you think the seed was planted when you were there to try out for a minor league team? You went to a strip club. You saw Robert J. and you yeah. thought I could do that. Right, exactly. <laughs> you thought I could do that, but there was no real precedent for. I mean, who were you? I guess you had comic heroes. There were definitely comedians at that time. Yeah, but, but I, I never. I wanted to be an actor. I never grew up. I want to be an actor or a baseball player. I never grew up thinking uh, I was going to be a comedian because it was. No place to work then. You know, there was no comedy clubs. It and, didn't seem like a, a possible thing. No. M- most comedians, I think, were comedy writers. Yeah. That got into stand-up or some musicians that got into stand-up. They just saw what the art form was when they kept on watching it day after day. But, like, when you were at that time, like, what was it, 1962, like, uh, I mean, there was television and you had, there were definitely a a, a bunch of comedians that yes. were on TV all the time. Right. Right. Right, but never hit me that I wanted to do that. And it must have seemed like also, like they, it seemed like a set crew, didn't it? Back then, there was like a dozen guys that were on all the time. Right. There was a dozen guys that were on all the time that had been on for, you know. Since you were a kid. Yeah. And they were all from one show to the other. What, right. You know, from Sullivan, at Sullivan show. Right. To, uh, Did you have favorites? I liked Alan King. Did I you? I thought Alan King was like hip. Yeah, well, that well, that was his whole presentation. He was yeah. like, uh, you know, that it was like when the Jews moved to the island. Right. Like he was there to to represent the middle class Jew. Yeah, right, right. And he was different than the than the older. Right, right. So he, he was he was the next generation. Right. He wasn't you know half his act wasn't in Yiddish. Right. He wasn't Myron Cohen. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Myron Cohen. He was, uh, you know. He was just... Uh, Do you remember Myron Cohen? Sure, I remember Myron Cohen. Really? Yeah, I played craps with Myron Cohen. Shot craps with Myron Cohen. <laughs> you did where? Yeah. Oh, I think at the MGM Grand. He was a real crap shooter. Oh, really? He was around that long for that, that hotel? Yeah. Did, was he playing? I don't know if he was working there. Uh, I think I was working there, and he was, right. just, and he was just there. In he, Vegas. In Vegas. I, and I went up and said hello to him. Hello, how are you? I, I've seen you. And I said, hi, Myron. Said, how you doing? You know, yeah. Losing, as usual. 
<laughs> he's a, a big gambler. Yeah. But so Alan King, though, he seems like he must have been not that. I mean, he must have been pretty young when you were seeing him then. But you never, you know, what, like, what about like some of the older guys? Like, the, I mean, you seem to uh, have a, a similarity in style to Groucho. I mean, were they important to you? Yeah, I love Groucho. I, I loved the movies, but I also loved uh, his television show. Right, right, right. My father liked his show, so we used to watch the it what, all the you time. You Bet Your Life? Is you that Bet what Your it, Life, right. Well, he was so quick on that. I mean, that was really where you saw the organic personality of his mind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember he took over The Tonight Show Yeah. for a week. From Johnny. From Johnny. Yeah. You know, he's one of the interim hosts. Right. Just like now they have interim hosts on Jeopardy. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So it was between Jack Parr and, and, and Johnny Carson. And who was Steve Allen before Jack Parr? He was before Jack Parr. Jack Parr was good, wasn't he? Jack Parr was good. Yeah. He was a really good interviewer and he was kind of controversial. He would do little things that. Uh, it was odd. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, so he got fired. He got fired. And Groucho was. And Groucho was one of the interim hosts. Oh, who else was? Do you remember? I don't remember, but, Gra- but so they okay. But Groucho so, wasn't that great at that point. No, it was 1962, and they expected him to be as funny as he was on You Bet Your Life, but he wasn't because he had to talk to people. And well, like um, You Bet Your Life, he was talking to civilians. He was talking to civilians, but the material was written. Oh, uh, right, right, right. A lot of it was prepared. Yeah, and then they could edit. Yeah, and there was no edit on the Tonight Show. So, right. So he, you know, it wasn't his thing at that point. Did you uh, get to meet Groucho? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to meet him. First time I met him was in Nathan Al's. And uh, I had just been on the Merv Griffin show and he had seen me. And he was sitting with some guy. Look, the guy looked like a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, this is, uh, this is Gene Kaplan. I saw him last night on Merv Griffin. Yeah. And he was very funny. I said, thank you, Groucho. It's just an honor for you to say that. But my name is Gabe Kaplan. He said, I'm going to call you Gene. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm going to call you Zeppo. <laughs> <laughs> Did he laugh? Yeah, he laughed. <laughs> and then uh, he came to Welcome Back, Cotter uh-huh. when we were taping a show. And I used to do these jokes at the beginning and the end of the show. And I thought it would be a great idea if I told the last joke to him, if he was sitting outside the school on a bench, like we were waiting for a bus or something. Yeah. And I said, sir, as long as we're waiting for the bus together, I'd like to tell you about my uncle. And then I tell you the joke. And you turn around and you say, uh, well, that's the worst joke I ever heard in my life. (laughs) And he says, all right, what joke are you going to tell me? And I told him the joke. He said, that is the worst joke I ever heard in my life. (laughs) But Erin Fleming was with him, and she wouldn't let him do it. She asked for like uh, you know ten thousand dollars for him to do to do the appearance on the show. Yeah, over the credits. Over the credits, right? Oh, Jesus! But that would have been priceless. Yeah, it would have been great to have. Yeah. So. After you get back from Texas, you realize what baseball is not for you. I yeah, I didn't. Th- I, well, I didn't realize yet, but I, I w- had interest in comedy. So, and this is like between uh, the Mrs. Maisel era and yeah. before the Improv Open, right? So there was no place to work. There was a place called the Comedy Workshop. Have you ever heard of that? In where was that? That was like on Forty Fourth Street. Oh, okay, not the one. there was one in Texas years later, but the comedy workshop. Never heard of it, huh? No, I don't know that one. I've talked to a lot of people. Maybe someone mentioned it. What was the story there? It was run by this guy whose name was George Q. Lewis. Yeah, and he was a, a publicist. He might have been a teacher, yeah. some sort of a, a college professor, and he liked to do humor seminars, and he would also um, send out press releases. And he ran this place called the Comedy Workshop. Yeah. 
like two nights a week, and comedians would go there, and you get on stage. Yeah. And then after you got on stage, it wasn't a hostile environment. It was like people would try and tell you, give you pointers. Sure. The only problem was that nobody in the comedy workshop ever worked. Right. You know, it was like guys that wanted sure. to be comedians. Sure. Except Ron Carey. Ron Carey, right, yeah. Now you talk about Jack Parr. This is interesting because Ron Carey had been on the Jack Parr show. Yeah. And he did great. The little guy. Little guy, you yeah. know, from Barney Miller. Right. And he did great. Oh, and he was so funny on Barney Miller. Yeah. Uh, and he was really funny as a comic. Yeah. And then he went back on about two months later and he bombed. And it on really, the Tonight Show. Yeah, and it really yeah. fucked it with his head. You know, he didn't know what to do or why he bombed the second time. Yeah. And he went into a depression. Uh-huh. And then he would go to the comedy workshop, and he was a guy who was actually on Jack Parr show. Yeah. A real yeah. working comedian who had done TV and yeah. was a hit, and he became like the- uh, The guru, the, the wizard. Guru, the wizard of the comedy workshop. Um, and then when I went in there, I heard about it, and I went in there, and he was he was really a nice guy. He would, yeah. He would be, we would go to the automat afterwards. Uh-huh. And then uh, I was too scared to get up at the comedy workshop. Yeah. So there was another place called the Mid Manhattan Club, huh. which was a social club. Uh, people played cards there. They played games, uh -huh. mahjong, and they had lectures. And once a week, they have a talent show. Right. And comedians just go up, and they had the 60, 70 people in the audience. Yeah. And they said, well, go, Ron said, go to the Mid Manhattan Club. I went there, and I bombed. What kind of audience? West Side, 75% Jewish okay. audience. Okay. That this was their social club. And that's what, they just had social clubs where you go sit there and play cards? They had and, this one. Yeah, and it, <laughs> but it's not a retirement thing, right? No, it wasn't a retirement thing. It was people that lived in Upper West Side. And that, that's where that they wanted community some center. Community center. Wanted some place to go at night. You bombed, huh? I bombed. Terrible. And I went back to the comedy workshop. Did you have bits? Yeah, I had one bit. One bit. I had a bit about... <laughs> <laughs> no I, backup. No backup. I had one five minute bit. Yeah, it was like oh, uh, five minutes. So you're in. If it's I, if it's bad, you no way out. No way out. <laughs> I had to do the whole bit. <laughs> and it was a bit about um, overprotected seventeen year old boy telling his mother he wasn't coming home for dinner, mm. and he bought a pair of black shoes, and that was like a big deal in the '60s where. You know, some mothers would think, well, black shoes means you're a tough guy. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, so that was the Are whole- Are you sure everybody knew that? Yeah, at that point. Okay. Now it sounds ridiculous, right. but at that point- Black was, shoes. Black shoes was a big deal. Uh -huh. So uh, I did it, bombed, and then I went back to the comedy workshop to say goodbye. You were done. I was done. You, you were I was, retiring. I, retiring. I was gonna, if I couldn't be a baseball player, I was going to look, my career was over. You know, it was a, the black shoe bit. The tanks. black shoe back tank, my number one bit. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then Ron Carey got up on stage and he said, uh, hey, Gabe Kaplan, we all met him. You know, he wants to be a comic and he bombed at the Mid-Manhattan Club and let's get him up here. And I did the Black Shoe Band yeah. and it killed. <laughs> and I kept- well, You got the, got the sympathy intro. I, I got the sympathy intro and the comedians <laughs> felt you know, empathy right, right. and they laughed. Yeah. And then I would get up at the comedy workshop and, and they would laugh. I'd I do new versions of the bit. Come up with some other jokes. Oh, really? You didn't? You didn't just keep revising the black shoe bit? I did. Oh, yeah. I did. And then they would give me, and they, would, you know, they give you advice. And it must have been pretty tight after a few weeks. It was. Yeah. It was like uh, it was tight, and and Ron was always my cheerleader. He would he would applaud and laugh. Yeah. And then one time, about I guess about four weeks later, I got up, 
and I did a new bit, and it went over really well when he wasn't laughing. And I said, uh, how come you didn't laugh? Yeah. He said, well, tonight you were really funny. Oh, <laughs> 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 no. uh, you crossed it. You crossed yeah. it. You, yeah. yeah. He didn't have to pretend anymore. Yeah, I crossed the Rubicon. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, now he just could be looking at another comic going, oh, shit. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was that. And yeah. so and then you got more comfortable. I and got then, more comfortable. But, but, when, but wasn't the Borscht Belt alive and well at that time? And Yeah. I mean, you could go up there. A lot of young comedians became social directors, and you'd go on stage. Uh, and you mean you'd, you'd have to corral the old people or the yeah. Jews into different activities? and then, The different activities. And you'd, you'd kind of schmooze them and do the funny during right. the day, but then you get a little stage time? A little stage time, exactly. For opening for the main guy or what? No, you went over for the main guy. You just... Uh, well, you would open because you were the MC, right? All oh, right, yeah, yeah. So, who were the other guys at the workshop? There was any other guys we know I at saw, that time. I saw um, Willard and Greco, mm. Fred Willard and his partner. Oh, really? They, Way they, back then. Yeah, they got up and they did a bit there. They came to just try out a bit. There was one guy who worked in the subways. Yeah, his name doing, was Kenny doing, Burke, doing stand up, doing stand up in the subway. Yeah, you go on the subway, and, and this is sixty two, sixty two. Yeah, wow, uh, and. Most of the people was one guy. His name was Dave Kent. Uh huh. He was uh, his whole bit was that he was Superman's younger brother, Clark Kent's younger brother, right. and he looked a little like him. And he right. did a whole routine on that. Yeah, that was the whole thing. That was it. That was Superman's younger brother. Uh-huh. And then George Q. Lewis would put out these press releases. And when I started to get real laughs, he said the Humor Society of America has named Gabe Kaplan America's youngest comedian. <laughs> so, How old were you? 18. Oh, wow. So I had to uh, show it to my parents. Yeah. Look, look I did you, it. Hey, you think I'm getting around with this? Here, look at this. <laughs> so, you know, it, it gave some, some validity for what I was trying to do. So you were you were just getting out of high school? No, I quit high school. Oh, you did? Yeah, Mr. Carter quit high school. No kidding. Yeah. Well, I, when did you do that? To do comedy? No. You just quit high school? I just quit high school. Why? I wasn't doing well. Yeah. I wanted to play baseball. Yeah. I wasn't on the baseball team in high school. I went to the coach. He said, can you can you hit as good as Duke Schneider and feel as good as Pee Wee Reese? Yeah. And I said, no. He said, oh, I can't use you. Uh, so yeah. what did your dad think about quitting high school? Hated it. Yeah? He hated it. He just didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to cope with it. Yeah. And I said, well, maybe I'll go back, you know. And he just really didn't know who to turn to. What did he do? Not much. Yeah. <laughs> He was religious. He was a gambler. Uh-huh. He was religious. He he would dabble in real estate uh-huh. where he'd go, and he didn't have an office, but he'd hang around, and right. once in a while, downtown Brooklyn, and once in a while, he'd make a deal, uh-huh. and then they would fuck him out of the deal, and he'd wind up getting something. You know? Wow. So he was just sort of like uh, always hustling. Well, always trying. What and was my, his gambling? What did he like to do? Like to play cards. Oh, yeah. He liked to bet on baseball. Yeah. So he had this two thing go, this two elements going where he was religious, yeah, and then he was also a gambler. So did was the do you have uh, uh, like was he who was he booking? He had a bookie. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would call up and he would say, "This is glasses for Phil." Yeah, and then he would give his. <laughs> and one time I called up and made bets for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he didn't. He didn't know, <laughs> and he won, and he, he never, did. and he didn't notice. I call it. This is glasses for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Did you were there were there shady characters around, or he was once removed from that? No, no, he really removed from that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it was yeah. like a neighborhood bookie bet five dollars on a baseball game. Right, right. Play numbers. 
No. No numbers? No numbers. And what about your mom? I mean, who was working? She was working. Oh, she was the She one. was the rock. Yeah. She worked. She was a beautician. Uh-huh. She went to work every day. Huh. Was they, the family together. Were they yelling at each other all the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> that, that was what you grew up with, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The religious man. The man of, of God. The man of God. Get a job, man yeah, of God. Yeah, right. Enough with the shul. <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> I think that was the basis of conservative Judaism. Right. <laughs> and the whole neighborhood knew. Because yeah. this wasn't like the 30s when there was a depression. Mm. Everybody worked. It was yeah. a lower middle class neighborhood. And this guy was just... And this guy didn't work. He was hanging around, around the real estate yeah, office. hanging around once in a while. We'd go downtown, hang around for a while, come back. So. Oh, my God. It was, uh, it was known. It and, was a known fact. And your sister was much older. She was older. So she was gone already. Yeah, she got married when she was like 20. Oh, really? Got out. Got out. Escaped. So now you're 18, college, uh, high school dropout, no baseball future. No baseball future. Doing these like no pay stand up gigs. So yeah. when do when do things start to turn? Uh, there was an agent called his name was Irving Shonoff, uh-huh. and he booked these lower class clubs in New England, uh, mostly in New England. Yeah, Ma- Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine. Dinner clubs? No. Mostly drink clubs. Uh-huh. Some of them were dinner clubs, yeah. but uh, they usually had a comedian and a stripper yeah. or a comedian and a belly dancer. Huh. And he had this huge office in the Brill building. Oh, yeah. And he had a big outer office yeah. and a little inner office to where he couldn't see the door. And when, when you walked in his, his office, he would scream, who's out there? <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, and you'd have to tell him who's out there. Yeah, yeah. And he finally got me a job uh-huh. at a place in Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, way out there. Drive. So you drove. I drove, which was important. Yeah, you had to have a car. If you, had a, you had to drive the stripper or the belly dancer. Oh, so you had to take the, the headliner. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I, I know. I started in a similar way, but it was comics. Oh, right. Yeah, road like the, you got to take the other comics. Yeah, these one-nighters. Yeah, the main guy. A lot of times you'd have to drive them because they'd be from out of town. And I, when I was living in Boston where I started, that's how we started. It was like these one-nighters at little bars. People would sub. They'd have a comedy night. They'd, they'd sort of uh, book a comedy night through these subcontractors. And a lot of times touring acts would come in. And if you were local, you'd go out, you'd drive them, you'd do a half hour, they'd do 45, then you get out. Well, I guess comics are a little less crazy than strippers. So was, well, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's a long run from uh, to Springfield with a stripper. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were long runs. There was uh, a few. One time coming back, this girl was drunk and she yeah. grabbed the wheel and tried to kill herself and kill me too. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. She was just really depressed. I'm not. My life is not worth living. And then oh, she kept God. on doing it. She and, kept grabbing the wheel, drunk. Yeah, yeah. So I had to stop. And and have her arrested? Really? Yeah. Oh my God! She's gonna kill us. And she, oh, what happened to her? Uh, She's she now my ju- wife. And- <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth. Well, we're uh, we've been married for twenty five. It's forty six years now. <laughs> but usually they were just quiet. Usually yeah. they didn't say anything. Did you ever get any, in? The, did you have to like watch the girls back? I mean, like, did you ever get have to you know protect them? No. Oh, okay. No. But then I actually worked um, in clubs, uh, strip clubs, f- for um, like weeks. In the city? Not in the city, no. Like outside. Uh, so this guy, Charnoff, would book you at, at strip yeah. clubs for weeks. For weeks. Um, so that And was, other agents, uh, then I got other agents too. So that was the gig, huh? So you would go to one club 
and and so that's what they would turn over. They have the same girls, but they get new MCs or, or new girls all the time. Was there a tour? No, new girls. No like kidding. Girls, of, it was a week uh-huh. or two, and uh-huh. the MC was the same. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's why they called you the MC, is that, that comic. So were you getting chops? Were you doing the thing? I mean, how, what was yeah. it like working at those places? Could you get laughs? Sometimes. You know, the uh, audience was pretty good. First show was pretty good. Yeah. Second show was, you know, I was always working uh, on material, trying to pretend that but you it got was, like bachelor parties and crazy people, and you know. yeah, you got a few of those. Yeah, and then you get mixed crowds on the weekend. You get men and women on the weekend, uh-huh. and generally most places. Uh huh. During the week was mostly guys. Uh huh. But there are too many comedians around who experienced that. Right. No, I know who worked in that form. Of show. I was think it? you're the first one I've really talked to that actually had extensive experience in being booked at those places. Yeah. Were there other guys doing it? Um, Pryor did it. Oh yeah, you know that's that was what we had to talk about. Oh really? You know, because uh, yeah, because that was his. He had done that, and he was at the Cafe Wa right like around sixty three, sixty four, and oh, you hung out with him? Not really, but I would talk to him at the Cafe Wa. Yeah, and that's what we would talk about. Manny got, Roth was around. Manny Roth was his, his manager. manager. Yeah, because yeah. he related to that. Yeah, he he knew nobody else who had done that. So, no kidding. None of, the, none of the New York comics have done that. So right. You see, how many girls were there? How many girls? I say <laughs> three. You fuck any? You fuck any? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Once in a while. <laughs> so when does it become, like, so the Cafe Was started doing comedy when? Well, they would have, um, I think, nights when comics could get up and and perform. You know, he would, Pry was the comic. Yeah. Richie Havens was... Working there, and yeah. So it was, I remember Pryor and Richie Havens, and then they would let comics get up occasionally, and I don't think every night. Yeah. And then there's a place right across the street, the Champagne Gallery. Uh huh. Hear that? No, I don't know that one. That was like uh, in the basement, and it was a really plush type of thing with a piano player. Uh huh. And the, and then you would have to tell a piano player to take a break, and, uh-huh. you, and you would go up and and then. After a while, when the comics found out about it, the piano player was never playing. <laughs> he played play one song, and the comic would go up and say, hey, can I do something? Yeah. yeah the, so. the Cafe Wog was later bought by uh, Manny Dorman, who owns the Comedy Cellar, that whole building. And they, you know, so they had music there. I don't know if it was actually the original location of the Cafe Wog, but it's still around. Yeah, it's still there. So when do you start, you know, getting more high-profile gigs in the city? Did you do the stripper thing for years? I did the stripper thing probably till like 1967, and I would go back, uh, you know, to the improv in between. And when just, did the improv open? I think it's 63. Really? So, so I, rem- the, I remember the improv opening. Bud and Silver. Yeah, in 19, I would say 63 because when I first went there, it wasn't a comedy club. It's like a variety show, right? Or no? It was, it, well, singers and yeah. comics, not a variety show. I mean, people would just get up, what, as more? many singers as comics, but- what they did have was actual improvs. Uh huh. People would get up and do improvs. Really? J.J. Barry, Richard Pryor, Robert Klein. There was a comedian, Dave Astor. Uh huh. Ron Carey Ron would Carey. do improvs, and that was like every night. That was like before Rodney came there. Was it? It was like after the theater, right? People right, would come hang the out. Theater, right. Well, it started around midnight, and then all the guys would come from their gigs, and they would they would do improvs. That must have been kind of amazing. Yeah, it was. It was great. I actually, when I started, that club was still around. Silver, had, in the settlement, she got that one, the right. original one. Right. 
And it was sort of like it wasn't it wasn't that crowded anymore. But I I got to work there quite a bit. It was one of the few clubs that would let me work. But it was you know it was a shell of its former self. But those pictures it was always there, like those old black and white pictures in the frames of, of Richard on stage and Robert and but very young Rick Overton and yeah. uh, a couple others that I kind of knew from later. Uh, but I didn't know what they were doing. But that was the deal. They just fuck around, huh? Well, that was. In the really early years, the imp- I think that stopped, and it started gradually to become a, a, a comedy club, to yeah. where the main thing was comedy. And it still, you have an occasional singer, but it was improvs, as I remember it. And then Rodney came. And Dangerfield? Rod- yeah, and, and then he would do a long time every night. When he, so that was him when he started again? When he started again, before he got Dangerfields. And before he did the, the hook. Like, right. he was sort of a long-form guy. Right. But it was like always the the brunt of the joke, but it wasn't like, oh, I got no risk. It wasn't one-liners, right? No, it wasn't one-liners. He would, uh, I remember him in the bar saying, yeah. you know, I got to have a hook. I got a hook. <laughs> Jackie Vernon, you know. Jackie Vernon's got a hook. You know, Jackie Vernon with the dull guy. The slide machine. The slide. Yeah. The slide machine. The, the vacation, right? right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And his I whole, love Jackie Vernon. And his whole, yeah, he was great. His whole thing was he would come out and say, to look at me, you'd never believe that I used to be a dull guy. <laughs> right. and, so there you go. There's and that was, that was his hook. And then he did the slide machine, which was one of his routines. But Rodney was very aware. And he knew Jackie Vernon. You know, they were comics back in the day. Yeah. And Jackie Vernon got this hook. Yeah. Dull guy. Yeah. And he became a sensation. Yeah. So Rodney needed for the hook. hook. Wait, I... Like Jackie, I loved Jackie Vernon when I was a little kid, and I saw it. My parents took me to see him when I was eleven or twelve wow. in New Mexico. I grew up in Albuquerque, from Jersey, right? And he was they, he did uh, the nightclub at the Hilton Hotel, and they let me in if I went with my parents, and I, I was thrilled. I, I, I saw, <laughs> but I just remember like my sense of 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 what show business was like. You know, you're sitting up close. He's older than he's sweating, and it's in this little <laughs> club, and there was something terrifying uh, about it. But it was great. Yeah, he he was the first guy that. I think that came up with this hook concept. Oh, yeah? Because he was just a comics comic. You know, he just worked and wasn't getting any more work. Yeah. And then he paid somebody, some comedy writer. Oh, really? And he said, you got to get something to where I'm unique. I have an identification. And the guy came up with that. The uh, loser. The the dull guy. The dull guy. And that was it. And then, and then the, slide, the slideshow was huge. I think he had a couple, show, yeah. a couple of different slideshow yeah. bits. Yeah. Right? The vacation one. Yeah, this is a bear. Here's me and the bear. I took the picture. Here's me and the bear and my wife. I don't know who took the picture. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was funny, man. He was funny. Yeah. And so Rodney, you just saw him because Rodney was like so hard on himself, right? Yeah, he he was he was he questioned that thing for a long time for weeks and weeks. Yeah. Is, is this working? Is this working? Yeah, because he was out for a long time. He went and uh, was selling uh, siding. siding with uh, right. Joe Ansis. Yeah, and then like I guess Joe Ansis was around too. I met Joe Ansis one time. I was working in Vegas. Yeah, and uh, he and he introduced himself. And we yeah. hung out for like uh, a week. He was there. I think with he, Rodney. No, no, mm. no, no. He was there by himself, mm. and we just talked. And he told yeah. me a lot of Lenny stories. Oh yeah. And all so it was. It was. Did you ever see Lenny? No, he was working at the uh, Go Go across from the Bitter End. Yeah. I think sometime in '64. Right. And I wanted to go, but I couldn't afford it. And then he was, and then he moved out here. Yeah. Then he moved. I don't know if he ever worked again after that. Huh. Because I 60, think he died '66. '66. Yeah. So you're doing spots at the Improv then? 
Or are you just no. hanging out? No, I'm hanging out. I didn't have the kind of material. I had this material that I've been doing a combination of strip clubs and these weekend jobs uh, in New England. I just didn't have the right material. Were you just getting by doing old jokes, or were you reading? Yeah, uh, doing you... mostly mostly old jokes, like yeah. the jokes that became the uncle jokes on yeah. uh, on Cotter. You know, uh, those, yeah. those are the jokes that I had done <laughs> right for years in clubs, and then I finally. I guess late '60s uh, started to write material that I was happy with, uh-huh. and it was kind of cutting edge material. And then, then I started to really do good. Then I started to work at the Improv, and I did very well at the Improv. And I did uh, college tours. I did a tour with Dave Mason, and I had all this new material. Late '60s, late '60s, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I had one bit of Howard Cosell. Broadcasting the Crucifixion, uh-huh. which really rubbed people the wrong way. Good though, that's and, good, right? You're doing you're doing your Lenny bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know I did a Cosell impression. I said, well, what's going to be the ultimate Cosell impression? Right, right. And I and I did this. That's and, good. But it it got really some really bad reactions. Sure, of course. Uh, making fun of Jesus. It wasn't really making fun, but it was just- Trivializing. It was the event, yeah, yeah. trivializing the event. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. the improv, somebody threw a coffee cup at me, wow. splattered it all. I did. I opened for the Righteous Brothers. And went, it, go Jew. <laughs> you know, it wasn't too much of that, although I expected that, but I didn't really get too much of that. I just, just generally people being offended at the concept of doing that yeah. in that time, yeah. in that era. And um, when you could still offend, yeah. Well, that's I think back. people would be offended at the today. Sure, it's back. <laughs> it's different, but yeah. I mean, but you could. It, you, there was definitely a line then that was throughout the culture. Yeah, you know, now it's in pockets. You yeah. know, like there's less of a line with religion. Right. Uh, you know, it seems you can always kind of. It's it's not it's not hackneyed, but it, it's like I mean I did a pretty profane joke about Jesus coming back in my last special, and I think it, it still upsets people, the believers. But I think they've gotten used to it a bit. Yeah, they gotten used to it, but they don't like it. And if they have the license to say something, yeah, if the opportunity, sure, because they just don't see it as humor; they see it as a. Uh, as a, a, an offense, an attack, yeah, an attack. So now that was the gig, though, right? Opening for musical acts, and and uh, there still wasn't like a lot of money in in club work in the city, right? You just worked out. No, I yeah. just, I well, now that I got the college deal, and 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 I worked in coffee houses. Yeah, I did a whole string of uh, coffee. It was a place called the Flick in Miami uh-huh. that I did a lot. There's a yeah. place called the Bistro in Atlanta. The whole coffee house circuit. What was that, like uh, 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 pre-hippie, kind of beatnik-y or what? what was yeah, it? well, it was, yeah. It, it was. wasn't like old uh, Jews. No, no, no. <laughs> there was no old Jews. Yeah. Old Jews weren't allowed. Yeah. It was, like, it was Just young Jews. Young Jews. Yeah. Yeah. Smoking. And, uh, yeah. The Flick, uh, huh? The Flick. It was like all... I worked with Joni Mitchell one week. Oh wow! Okay, uh, you know, so all the so you kind of l- latching on to the counterculture uh, yeah. entertainment and the material that I was doing at the time was uh, was good in those clubs. They they liked it. Oh, that's great. Most of the time, yeah. You know, still people could get upset. But you're pushing the envelope a little I, bit. I was pushing the envelope. Um, I decided, hey, you know, this is where I wa- that's what I want to do. And then I did my first shot on the Tonight Show. I'd auditioned for the Tonight in Show in New York. Yes. Before it moved out here, no, it moved out here, but they used to go back to New York to to book. For like, no, for like a couple of weeks, oh. twice a year. Yeah, 
Like Carson still had an affinity for New York. Right. He had been in New York for a long time. Yeah. And he wanted to go back. Yeah. Go to some of his old hangouts uh-huh. and spend uh-huh. some time with some of the people he uh-huh. knew. So he would have them come back to New York. And they had moved out already. So I think this is a 72. Yeah. Um, and I had, and the, uh, the talent coordinator was Craig Tennis. Uh-huh. And he had seen me at the Playboy Club. That's Where? Not, in New York? In New York. Uh-huh. And he seen me at the Ice House. In Pasadena, Out twice. And so I, you were going back and forth? I was going back and forth. You know, Why? What, what were you doing out here? I was working the Ice House. Oh, so they fly you out? Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. No, they wouldn't fly me out. But you go work for I'd a week work. or two? Yeah. 72, so, the Ice House was around, huh? Yeah. So that was one of the oldest ones out yeah. here. Yeah. Ice house. It was always a great audience at the Ice House. It's still like, that. it's a very hot room. Yeah. You can't even explain no, it. No, it's a hard to bomb at the Ice House. Exactly. Yeah. It was like that in 72, huh? Yeah, always. Wow. Um, and and I did a great set, and this guy from The Tonight Show, uh-huh. this, I, was like, I, I got it made. And I did, though, what I thought would be right for television. Uh-huh. You know, I had some material that, you know, the I wouldn't- The co and the crucifixion? No, that no. wasn't going to- Yeah. You know. So then he uh, didn't like me. Yeah. And, and then he co- came into the improv, and I was going on, and they said, Craig Tennis is here to see somebody else. And I said, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to do my Coselta crucifixion yeah. and all my other material. Right. And I, I did it. He came, he came up to me after the show. He said, can you do the Tonight Show on Thursday? I said, I can't do any of this stuff. He said, I don't care what you do. You know? <laughs> so. <laughs> you, you got through. The fuck you worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, but uh, you innately, you knew what you needed to do. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't go over your set. No. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do this routine about old people on the, the dating game for old people. Yeah. It was a routine, the geriatric dating game. Uh-huh. And he said, fine. Yeah. And then, yeah, I went over it with him. And he said, yeah, that's fine. Okay. And that routine was, Mike Douglas didn't want me to do that on his show because he, he had a lot of people, old people oh, that watched him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, So you did it? Killed? I did it great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Great. Johnny liked it? Johnny really liked it. And then they had me come out. And the good thing that a lot of comedians... See, I just couldn't get on television. I was a little lazy. Um, I was happy working as a comic. Yeah. I was doing Playboy clubs. I was doing the coffee houses. I was doing the combination of both. And it was a great life. Making money. I was making money. I was doing what I wanted to do. So I, I didn't really push the TV thing. Yeah. When I did get on, I had all this backlog of material. Right. Accidentally. Yeah. Just because I wasn't really that ambitious. But you still, but you were doing the job. I was doing the job. I was working. I'd been working for like, by 72, it's 10 years already. So, so you I had, had a bunch of stuff. I had a bunch of shit that I could do. Yeah. I had like six, seven routines that I could do. And, uh, and so when they, I finally got the opportunity, then I wasn't going to bomb my second or third time. Right. Well, they well back then they'd ask you back pretty quickly, right? Yeah. I said back like in two months probably. Yeah. And and then I the first routine you know was the old dating game, and then I had this Ed Sullivan routine about Ed Sullivan saying what he wanted to say, having a few drinks before his final show, yeah, and saying what he really wanted to say yeah. all the years after twenty something years. Johnny liked that one. Loved it. Yeah, and I had polished that routine you know, for five years. Yeah. I'd been doing that routine, right? So right. it was it was it was ready to go. Yeah. And then I had another, and then I had other routines that, I, and then I also had this stuff to talk about the kids I grew up with, right? You know, which became Welcome Back, Cotter. So I had all this material, and just accidentally, 
it just worked out great. Your your lack of ambition helped you. Well, yeah, right. Because <laughs> like, you know, everybody was, when am I going to get on TV? When am I going to get on TV? And then they had the panic about the second yes, set, but you right. had a you know yeah. you had an hour under your belt that yeah. was good stuff, and it was uh, polished. Yeah, it was polished from working. I think I kind of remember you doing Ed Sullivan. Did you do it on Cotter sometimes? No, maybe I no. Saw but that I bit. I did it all over. Uh, I even did it on the Emmy Awards. Oh, okay. I, I did a stand-up on the Emmy Awards yeah. doing Ed Sullivan. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I remember it, you doing it. Yeah. Seeing it somewhere in my past. Yeah. I did so, a lot. So you did the, the Tonight Show how many times? No idea. I would say at least 20. Oh, really? Yeah. Before you got Cotter? Yeah. Wow. N- not 20 times before I got caught. I, I did the first one in 72. Cotter yeah. was 75, so I probably had done it 10 times. So how did that, so, and that must have brought you more tickets. I mean, you you must have built a following. Oh, yeah. From The Tonight Show, right? Yeah. You could sell oh, out the club or wherever. Oh, yeah, everything was different. Then. Yeah, after well, that. After the first Tonight Show, everything was different. Really? People would come. Uh, I think I was working at a club in Miami, and I was used to getting, you know, 30, 40 people. The place is sold out. Yeah. One appearance. Right. On the Johnny Carson show. Well, that was the three network thing, buddy. <laughs> right. You know, everything, everybody watched the Tonight Show. That's right. So that was, so then you're, you're, you're a big comedy star. Yeah. Kind of. You're like, kind you're, of, yeah. you're a headliner. Yeah. You're making money, pulling people in. I'm a headliner in coffee houses and um, I stopped working the Playboy clubs. Didn't do that anymore. Why? Because it was a, like a set fee that you would get, and you would set time. You'd do like 25, 30 minutes, and mm-hmm. that, that was it. And I was getting better gigs. So when when did you start playing Vegas then? Uh, I think my first gig in Vegas was work was opening for Ann Margaret, probably around 73. And Roger Smith would always get whoever was a hot young comedian on TV to open for her. Yeah. And they were really the nicest people. Yeah. They made sure everybody who was in the show... Uh, felt good, and they invite you into a uh, dressing room. They had a big dressing room with a big bar area, and everybody from the show would go mm. there. And, and Was we, she something else? She was really a nice person. Mm. She was uh, you know, concerned about everybody being happy in the oh, show. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, well, that's uh, nice. And I opened for, I thought this was going to be the norm. Right. You know, when you open for somebody, you yeah. open for 12 more people, and they were all pretty nice, but nobody... Wanted to make sure that you were happy. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Who else did you open for? Diana Ross, yeah. uh, Paul Anka, Mac Davis, Helen Reddy. Um, One hotel, different hotels? All different hotels. They And so you had a different agent now. Charnoff's gone, right? Oh, yeah. It was with William Morris. Oh, okay. Charnoff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was gone. Yeah. <laughs> Who's out there was gone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, and that was the gig. That was a good gig, right? You open for these people what for a couple of weeks for a run or yeah, what? a couple of weeks. Mm. Go to Vegas, go to Tahoe, mm-hmm. um, open for a couple of weeks. Then um, is that when you start playing cards? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I started losing in Vegas. You know, I was I'm making like five thousand dollars a week opening, yeah. and I'm losing it. <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> playing blackjack. You're your crash. father's son. Right. I was, uh, and uh, I said, I'm going to fall into this trap. Yeah. And then I noticed that there was poker, and I had always been a pretty good poker player. Uh-huh. So I, I said, instead of playing blackjack, I'll try and play poker, and then I wound up winning. So it was, uh, 
It was great, and I didn't. Uh, you and know, that was in the seventies. You started. I was in playing. the seventies. Yeah. Not professional, but you 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 were able to not lose all your money. Right. Yeah. If I broke out even. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I worked with Telly Savalas, we shot craps a few times together, yeah. but I didn't really want to. Yeah. We just, uh, Did he win? No. <laughs> he would take all these small chips and pile them up real high, yeah. like he was betting a lot. Yeah. He loved to gamble. He also loved to play poker. The illusion of the big spender. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. So when, how do you get Cotter? How does that, uh, like, what was the process back then? Did you pitch it? Did your agent put it together? I mean, because, like, by the time we get it in my generation, you you go in, you meet somebody, and you pitch the idea, and they decide whether you want it, they want to do it or not, and then you, you, you hook up with writers that they have on contract. Yeah, it was pretty similar. Mm. Um, I had talked to a few producers about a possible television show, but I never thought, about doing it based on my act, because no one had ever done that. But you know, were you doing bits on TV shows? Uh, oh, yeah. And did, were you doing roasts? Were you doing Dean Martin and whatever? Yeah, I was doing Dean Martin. I did um, Muhammad Ali roast. Uh, wow. I think that was the first roast. That he, who, and he, he thought that I was this guy he was fighting in uh, six months, this, uh, I think, Belgian guy, Koopman. Yeah. Jean-Pierre Koopman. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he Ali in, thought it was you? Yeah, because the guy looked a little like me. Yeah. And he's Koopman, what are you doing here? You ain't supposed to be here, Koopman. Get, get your ass out of here, Koopman. So I'm not Koopman, I'm a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he gave me that look, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. Uh, like he was mad, but he yeah. wasn't really mad. Yeah. But he, he just thought that they were pulling a surprise on him. Right. And that they're going to bring oh, Koopman out. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So Dean was a nice guy or no? Yeah, pretty much. Hard to know. Right. You know, yeah, that's like, what uh, I heard, yeah. It, it was like, uh, you know... I got a feeling that there was a really nice guy in there. Yeah. That this was his act and he did it and everything was so easy. They structured things so he didn't have to do any work. Mm. He just went out there and were there, read the cards. Were there comics that you were friends with? Yeah. I, I One of the things I did before, you know, before this happened, before I got on TV, but I wrote a lot of material for David Fry, who was, I don't know if you remember him, he was an impressionist. He did, yeah. He did the political impressions. Right, right, yeah. And I wrote a lot of his material and wrote a couple comedy albums for him. And you were friends with him. Who else came up with you? That you who were your contemporaries? Brenner? Brenner was a little after me. Right. You know, I, mean, I, was really, I was really early. Yeah, yeah. You know, Brenner, I think it was a few years after me. Klein was coming in. Klein it? was about the same time. Yeah. Then he started doing improv yeah. and, and working theater. in theater. Um, yeah. But I saw him at the Cafe Wall probably, like, really 1963, get uh -huh. up. And I think he had just graduated. Yeah. he was, yeah, and he was doing... Uh, funny? Yeah, he was always funny. Yeah. He was always really uh, a step above the kind of comedy that was happening at uh -huh. that point. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so you see Woody Allen? I saw him not not doing stand-up. Oh, no. But I saw him at uh, Bitter End a lot. He would go there for the talent shows uh -huh. sometimes, and he would be encouraging to comedians. Oh, yeah? Uh, but my mother wrote him a letter. Huh. Because uh, <laughs> he was like the main comic on TV. And she said, yeah. my son wants to be a comedian. Yeah. Can you help out? Yeah. And he wrote back a letter. Oh, did he? He said, uh, I'm just Kaplan. I, I can't meet your son, but uh, I... Uh, Want to encourage him if 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 he thinks he's got to try it and see if he can succeed at it, uh -huh. and uh, don't discourage him. Let him try his thing. Huh. And I and then I wrote Woody Allen's mother a letter. 
<laughs> but he actually answered. He, he actually answered. Did you ever meet Frank Sinatra? Yeah. Yeah? He worked at Caesar's Palace for a while. Yeah. And I never actually met him, and he was playing Baccarat. Uh-huh. And I went up to him and just said, how you doing? He had the whole table by himself. Yeah. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm losing. Everyone's and, losing in yeah. your stories. <laughs> right, right. Nobody wins. <laughs> and uh, he said, plus, this is my last night here. I'm looking for a new job. It was his last night at Caesar's Palace. Yeah. I said, I, I, I could just get you a weekend at the Club 802 in Brooklyn. <laughs> and he said, well, let me know about that. You know, you know, if I could. I think that was the only time yeah. I ever met him. He knew you from, from yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So they let me you. approach the table. Yeah, because they knew who yeah. I was. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't. You know, you couldn't get close to him. What? So you go in with Cotter. How does that work? Well, the producer Alan Sachs yeah. of Chico and the Man right saw me at the comedy store, and so, he's, we, so you were at the store. Yeah. When you were out here, when I was out early on, seventy three at the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. Well, I moved here. The Tonight Show came back. To Los Angeles, and I moved here to do my second one. In 70 what? Like late 72, early 73. So you you were at the store at the beginning? Yeah. Were you there when before Mitzi took it over? Yes. No kidding. I was there, I think, two weeks into it. I was sitting with Sammy and Rudy DeLuca, and <laughs> and Sammy was yeah, yeah. Uh, not sure if it was going to work. Huh. And it was just that front room? Just the front room. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I would go up until... Cotter got on the air. I didn't go to that much after that, but for those three years, I was there a lot. Even after Mitzi took over? Yeah. Oh, so you got along with her? Yeah. Well, I was already doing well. You know, I was on a Tonight Show. So she show. didn't have much effect on you. She way. didn't have much effect. Yeah. She didn't try to. You know, I gave one. You yeah, know, yeah. You gonna go on tonight? And yeah. You know, so yeah. it was kind of easy. I don't know. She couldn't fuck with you. No. Because you were a made guy. No, I was yeah. made guy. Yeah. yeah. I got my button already. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me this is the first time they built a show sort of specifically around an act. Is that what That's what I'm telling you. Mm. That's what I think. Yeah. Alan came up and he said, oh, you know, we want to do a show. Yeah. And then we started talking about yeah. it. Yeah. He said, those guys you talk about in your act, they're really funny. Yeah. And the first concept was these guys are like... We're all buddies in high school, and they're the group of guys that never grew up. Right. They're still, they're like 27, 28. They still all live at home. Yeah. And they still hang out together. Right. And they're still looking for girls, and they still, nothing's ever, and there was Barbarino, Horshack, Epstein, yeah. and yeah. they're still the same crew. And we couldn't figure out where the, the sets would be, uh, where did they hang out together. Right, right, right. All, and then just came up with the concept well, what if they're still in high school, and instead of me being their contemporary, I'm the teacher? Yeah. And that and that seemed to work well, and we took it to the network, and they said, write a treatment. I wrote a treatment. Yeah. And then uh, they bought it, and they had someone else write the pilot based on the treatment. And so was, you had production credit, creative, cr created by credit the whole time. Created by credit, right. Yeah. And, and, and that was that, huh? That was that, oh, oh, but I almost got kicked off the show. <laughs> Why? Before it even started, because Comac was a producer, he he was a kind of controlling guy, and we didn't really get along that well. He tried to get involved in people's lives, and, ha and he wanted to be the guru. Uh huh. Which guy is this? James Comac. He was the producer. He was the producer. Uh huh. I was uh, kind of independent, and the network had bought the show, and we were doing the pilot. And I didn't know it at the time, but we did a, a run through like a week before we taped. Yeah. And they had a whole list of guys to replace me. 
No kidding. If I didn't knock it out of the park in that run-through. Yeah. And the run-through went really great, and then we were stuck together for yeah. like three, four, four years. Yeah, all of you. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it. I love. I mean, I loved uh, working. It was kind of cathartic, you know. This is this is my life. These are people that I grew up with. Forms of them, not exactly, but they were forms of them. And some things that happened to me. Some of the people on the show were actual names of people that I knew. So I, I really, and I wanted to do more of that. These guys were the best of friends, and they had all different ethnic backgrounds. Right. And and it was and I want to have one show where a couple of black kids go up to Freddie Washington and say, "How come your best friends are white?" Yeah, and do it. But the, he didn't want to do any of that. So uh, it was a combination, a give and take about what he wanted and what Who, I wanted. Comstock or whatever his name is. Comstock, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Comstock load. <laughs> yeah. Is that his name? Comac. Comac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we sort of um, navigated it. Navigated it. Like I think all television shows. And did, are, did the guys that they, these characters were based on ever? Uh, did you tell them? Oh yeah. or they they knew and. Oh yeah, they knew. They yeah, all knew. we all knew. And we got together one time in New York, like three of us. I think uh, only one of them is still alive. Oh, right now, yeah. yeah. And this is that was Travolta's first gig, right? His first major gig. He, yeah. His he had done a couple of commercials, and I think he'd been in a couple of small parts of movies. Uh huh. But that was his first major thing. Vinny Barbarino. Vinny Barbarino. Yeah. This is my place, and these are my people. I'm Vinny Barbarino. <laughs> <laughs> and Horshack and Epstein and Washington. Was that? Washington. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I remember all of them. With the, the Sweat Hogs, right? The Sweat Hogs. Yeah. Like, I remember from my childhood, I remember you. I remember, like, it's it's weird that they, like, that was what was interesting, really, as I started, when we started talking about it. Like, when I read that article, it was like, deeply ingrained stuff you know because i'm i guess i'm like 20 years younger than you so you know i'm seeing that when i'm you know in elementary school and then entering junior high it was a big show yeah i think uh it's sort of and not only here but in in, all over the world everybody knew someone like that in their school yeah it was a common experience right yeah Yeah. barbarino the guy was good looking and uh you know an epstein a tough guy everybody sort of related to it but you guys you know, really thought of the angle, the shtick of each one. You know, Barbarino was the, the sort of cocky kind of guy, right? And then Horshack was the desperate kind of guy. Yeah. And Epstein was always late, right? And, you know, borderline. And the notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Signed to Epstein's mother. Was that the bit? Yeah. <laughs> Please excuse Juan from coming late today. I had something urgent he had to do for me, signed Epstein's mother. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he would mouth along to the note as as I was reading it. What happened to that guy? Died. Oh, did he? Yeah, young, like 60 years old. Mm. And Horshack too, right? Horshack died too. Mm. And Marsha died, Marsha Strassman. Mm. She died a few years ago. Yeah. And Travolta, Travolta on. Travolta keeps going. Keeps going. Yeah. Did you ever talk to him? Not too often. We got along really well when we did the show. He's a yeah. funny. He's a funny guy to work with. Yeah, you know, he's he's really he's really funny. Yeah, but, uh, just haven't kept in touch that much. Well, I know it's like things get weird, right? You get older, and it's like yeah. when you do shows, like because I've done a couple. It's like everyone goes the wrong way. It's like it's like a, a, a theater production, you know. Even if it goes on forever, it's like anything. I mean, if you work in an office with yeah. six people, 
You know, people won't ask you 20 years later, hey, you talk to other people yeah. you work with? Well, and, well, sometimes uh, you're friends with them. You don't sometimes, know. Sometimes you have one person that you you're still friends, friends with. still friends with the guy who wrote it with you? Alan Sachs? Yeah, Sachs. Yeah, we talk, we talk uh, yeah. uh, every once in a while. I'm still, I see um, Larry Jacobs who played uh, Freddie Washington. We still see each other. Oh, yeah? Uh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. So you do that for what, four years? How many? Like, how many did you do? How many I did, episodes? hundred? Uh, did about a hundred. Wow. I did three years. I was on, like... Um, Maybe four or five shows in the last season. Hmm. Comac took over. <laughs> Pushed last... you out. Yeah, and huh. he had uh, like Marsha was in the schools as a teacher. He brought in Della Reese. Yeah, as a teacher. Right. Uh, it was didn't make any sense. It was like Cotter in the Twilight Zone. Did it, did it hurt your feelings? Yeah. Hmm. It was my show, my life. You know, so it did hurt my feelings. Yeah. Uh, so that relationship got worse. Well. It, it, you know, it was always bad. Yeah. So it didn't get any worse. He, he just was able, you know, the rating slipped by the third season. And I always thought, hey, you know, these guys are, they were 20-something to begin with when we started the show. Yeah. So now, is, yeah. how far are you going to push this? Yeah, right. How, we need new kids or something. We need new kids or maybe move them to a junior college. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I become a teacher at junior college. I walk in and who's right, there? Right, right. You know, so right. let's... let's Let's do something. We can't yeah. have them, you know, 27 years old. We can't have them playing 16 anymore. <laughs> and they didn't agree. They mm. just wanted to milk it for all it was worth. Ah, uh, that's sad. So when that ended, I mean, did you decide at some point you were done with show business? Kind of. Um, I wasn't really getting any offers, any any good offers. I, I after Cotter, after well, after Cotter, you know things. I was still headlining in Vegas, yeah. still doing that, yeah. And then um, nothing good was coming along, and I didn't want to do whatever was offered me, so I sort of did other things. You know, I got involved in financial things and gam. I started gambling, uh, yeah. Playing a lot of poker, being a poker announcer, yeah. And but well, you went, were a world uh, champion, weren't you? No. Oh. <laughs> But thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were like the King Poopa of the yeah. poker people. I'm like, uh, you know, I came in second once in the championship. But you uh, did all right. You were making money? Yeah, I was making money. Yeah. And I've done all right gambling. And, yeah. But more in, in investing. Um, and I, I didn't have the, I, I guess I'd done so much comedy yeah. at such a young age mm. that I didn't really have a real need to continue to do it. And also, like, you know, it, it, I don't know. There was a time. It, it's a generational thing. You know, ultimately, your audience is going to be your age after a certain point. If right. they still want to come exactly. see you, it's hard to remain relevant. So it would be difficult to kind of like, you know, continue to. You, I mean, I guess you could update your act, but it's still going to be this Vegas thing. And you, how could you not get tired of it? I think eventually. Yeah, you're going to get tired of it. Uh, and. I, I still worked in Vegas occasionally. But you loved it. Yeah, I loved doing comedy, and I wanted, I, I tried to do it again, like about 20 years ago, I went to New York. Yeah. Like I first started, I went down in the comedy cellar, and, uh, you know. So oh, you're oh, like my age, like 57, 58? Yeah, well, yeah. I was your age, and yeah. I came up with a couple of good bits. How'd it go? It went good. Yeah? Except nobody wanted me. <laughs> I did the Montreal Comedy Festival. Yeah. I did really good there. 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And the resurgence. He's back. That's what I thought. Gabe is back. That's what I thought. Yeah. But nobody gave a shit. You know, yeah, I was like- That's sad. Yeah. They, they treated you like a, a, a nostalgia act? 
Not a nostalgic, but I guess the people um, who booked the shows, they weren't interested in having me on the show. It was yesterday's news. Mm. And um, I didn't really go out and push. I didn't get an agent and try to get on. I thought, just like before, someone was going to say, hey, right. we want you back. Yeah, Please yeah. come back. Yeah, come on. <laughs> we want you back. And you, you didn't stay engaged with it like Richard, you know, where you maintained a, a sort of uh, audience like Richard Lewis. No. Who just kept going? You, yeah. you were sort of gone for a while. Yeah, I was yeah. gone, and and didn't seem like anybody wanted me back. No. <laughs> so I said, uh, "Okay, I'll play cards." Yeah, I'll play cards. I'll do other <laughs> things. Uh, and you did all right. You're all right. Make a nice living. Oh, good. I'm all right. Well, that's good. Yeah, but I still have that need, you know, like yeah. why I wrote this article. Yeah, and I've written a, a movie about uh, you know my family, my father not working, and coming of age in the 1950s with some right. gambling, yeah. hidden gambling and all that. Yeah. So I've written a movie like that. So like in the last year, you know, since COVID, I sat down, I started to write again. And I fe- it felt really good writing that article. Yeah. Um, you know, going over those memories of what happened. And it felt really good going to see Robert Conrad. Yeah. And uh, talking it out. And sort of saying, okay, what, yeah. what was it? Why, why did this happen to us? Why well, were we enemies? You know, well, it's interesting, though, because like, it still seems to me that, you know, even after talking to you and then talking about this article again, that, you know, a lot of that was in your head. Could be. <laughs> you know, yeah, what it could mean? be. Yeah. I mean, he was nice to you. He was but, nice to me. Yeah, yeah. But I do that all the time where I'm I like, you know, that guy, he's oh, yeah. going to. And then you see him, they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I don't, yeah. That's sort of like an OCD process where your neurotransmitters make you feel the worst thing is everyone feels the worst. Or that well, yeah, everyone's thinking about you. No one's yeah. thinking about you. No one, no, no, no one cares. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if no one cares, but, you know. but it, it was No, kinda, they care about their own shit. You of know? course, it's, right. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, but I, I really did get locked into that, you know, that n- nostalgia of that, you know, that the, the different media landscape. That, you know, you were part of this thing that... It's just that it's gone. It's all gone, you know. And my buddy Tom Sharpling, you know, him and I were talking about Rickles the other night, you know. And he'll, you you can go on YouTube and watch an entire, you can watch all of Rickles' Letterman appearances. Or you can watch all of somebody's, you know, stand, like, and just someone makes it, puts it all together. And it's kind of fascinating just how how great and how big the personalities were in your day, you know. And now, you know, it's hard to lock lock on to anybody. Yeah. It's, it's, uh... It's a new era. It's, uh, you know, people are... Everything's t- very it, temporary. A- everything changes. It's fleeting. Things change. I guess so. There's too I, much. I, 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 I worked at, um, uh, I went to this casino in yeah. uh, Mississippi uh-huh. to do a promotional event where... For the uh, poker? No, I, I also did um, speaking, you know, uh, like, uh, or, you know, public speaking. Oh, yeah? Where I do comedy, you know. Or like they TED would, Talks? What? Like a TED Talk? Yeah, uh-huh. but not really a TED Talk. Yeah. I was the comedy, like they would have uh, a couple of political people, like they have a convention for four days, uh-huh. they have a few political people. And Oh, and you the, do the comedy I, keynote? I, I was the comedy relief. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it was the keynote. So you'd write things for it specifically? Yes, write things okay. specifically. Okay. And, the, and then have occupations that you never knew existed. Yeah. You know, yeah. like... Uh, and you find out about them yeah. <laughs> and write and write stuff about them. Right. But I went to this casino in Mississippi and had a comedy club there. And they had like hundreds of pictures of every comedian. Yeah. And I'm looking and I don't see my picture. It's like 200 comedians I never heard of. Yeah. 
And then I went to the poker room and they have like six characters and I'm one of the characters. <laughs> well, this is where my life is going. You know, You're the poker I, guy. I, yeah, I can't make the top 200. Yeah. But, uh, Isn't that wild? Yeah. It's still at the comedy store, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I was just there. I'll go. I'll double check for you. That's good. The, all those pictures are still up. In the doorway, in the back hall, most of them are up. I think. I still think you're in the front hallway. I'm still in the front hallway. I think so. I okay. think so. I'll I'll, del- I'll double check. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> it was great talking to you, man. Great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Dave Kaplan, real deal. That was a unique stand-up story. Uh, in terms of how he started. I had not had that conversation uh, about the sort of uh, doing comedy on the road on at one-nighters with strippers. Uh, I That was a real, real, real treat. And now, guitar. Fonda, cat angels everywhere. They're in the room. They're in the fucking room, man. (laughs) 